then take your Bibles and make your way to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, we did the introduction, the full introduction last week. So you should have a pretty good idea of what this letter is about. A little bit about the city and uh, the outline of this book. And the start of this church, which jot this down in your... You should have an outline in the back. Ben, are you back there somewhere? If you don't have an outline, Ben would be glad to get you one. There's a stack of outlines back there. Just jot down on your Acts 16. That's a good place to go and read about the beginning, the birth of the church at Philippi. So I got an interesting title today. Um, I call it Joy Killers, Fillers and Killers. Now, and the reason I title it, I always want to use in my title something that you can relate to. And here's a reality. You got people in your life that are joy fillers. And you got people in your life that are joy killers. And if you're sitting next to the last one, don't look at them right now. That would not be nice. Hopefully, you're sitting next to a joy filler in your life. Uh, how many of you are sitting next to one of your joy fillers? Yeah. Miss Reba, I know you are. I, you introduced me to your daughter. Um, our kids, depending on the year. Can be joy fillers. <laughs> Amen, Brad. <laughs> my greatest joy filler is my wife. And, uh, of course, I'm not sitting next to her. I rarely get that opportunity, but when I do, I enjoy it. But we know that there are joy fillers and joy killers. But here's a question I got for you today. I want you to think about this and ponder it. Because I'm going to show you Paul's answer to this question. And it's this. Where do you go? to get your joy tank filled. I mean, really think about that for a minute. Where do you go to fill up your joy tank? Not, well, I was just going to say that. Was, was that you, Carolyn? You're in my notes. Uh, I, my next line is this, Carolyn. I filled up my truck this week, and it was definitely a joy killer. <laughs> Absolutely. But I really want you to think, about what brings a child of God real joy. Where do you get your joy tank filled? Maybe let me be more specific. Um, what people and what partnerships tend to be joy fillers instead of joy killers in your life? What people and what partnerships tend, lend themselves to be joy fillers and not joy killers? So this morning, we're going to look at Paul's opening commendation of his favorite church. So he's still kind of in his introduction in his letter, but he always opens with a, a personal commendation. I mean, even, now we know he loves this church. He loved all the churches, but this was his favorite. And you can tell that by the nature of what we're going to see internally. These people love Paul, and they were constantly supporting him right from the beginning. He loved this church. But even the church at, at Corinth, which was a disaster, uh, and I've always, every time I go into these small towns in Georgia, you can always find a Corinth Baptist church. I'm like, have they ever read the letter? <laughs> Why would you, unless you live in Corinth, when Pastor Nick, who was with us, pastored in Corinth for a while, in Corinth, Mississippi, I get it. But if, if you don't live in Corinth, why would you name your church Corinth Baptist Church? It's a disaster, right? But even the disastrous believers at Corinth, Paul opens and he commends them for at least being saved. That's all he could commend them for, but hey, at least you're Christians. He, he gives them a commendation. Philippians is a little bit broader than that. 
Um, so let me break it down in this source. Um, let me show you. I want to I unveil to you today the source of Paul's joy. And we're going to pick it up in verse number 3. I am going to back up to verse 1 because I want, it's just such a short context. And maybe you'll remember a little bit about the teaching that got us to that point. Paul and Timothy, bond slaves of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the elders and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God on every remembrance of you. And in your little outline this morning, this is just how my brain works. I've just called that number one. I just called that the who. And I'm not talking about the British band. I'm, I'm just talking about who is he talking to here. He's talking about these people, these saints at Philippi. And he's saying, I thank my God every time I think about you. Now, can I ask you a question? You got people like that in your life? Do you? I hope you do. Matter of fact, if you got people in your life that whenever you think about them, they make you smile, write their name on your outline this morning. You know, Facebook is a wonderful thing, and, and I got I gotta tell you, um, this newest little this little Georgia is truly a peach. She's a Georgia. Her middle name should be Peach. What is her middle name? Georgia? Lynn. Lynn. Georgia, I mean, she is, you all got to go see this kid after church. She is gorgeous. Uh, whenever, I mean, I was on a countdown waiting for this baby to show up. My niece just had, our niece just had a baby yesterday. There's something about babies. They're fresh from heaven, I think, and they smell like it still. Uh, they're just beautiful. You look at these little babies, and you, what, what do you do? You can't help but smile, right? Then they grow up and become teenagers, <laughs> Right? And, and hopefully you build that relationship and you can still smile. But I wonder, do you have those kind of people in your life that you think of them and you just smile? And you even thank God as God brings them to the front of your thinking. You got some of those folks in your life, do you? It's so important to have them, isn't it? And we need to be thankful. Um, got a surprise, didn't really kind of plan it out, kind of fell in place late one night this week. And a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a while was in our life for a while, and then God led him out of our life, and we kind of reconnected. And I'm telling you, he's one of these people. He's one of these joy fillers. And I forgot how much I missed him when we got to spend that time together um, this week. It was such a, uh, an encouragement to my heart. Well, here, here's my question. When is the last time that you told them that they're a joy filler in your life? That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, folk, Philippi, you, church, every time I think about you folks, put a smile on my face, and it makes me thank God. Why don't we tell people that? So many times I would tell my wife stuff I think about my children, the good stuff. You know, and, and, and she would say, did you tell them? And I said, well, no, they know it. She goes, no, they don't. They need to hear you tell them that, that they are a blessing to your life. Okay, so, so maybe that's something that we could do this week. Matter of fact, we call it doing the book. We call it DTB around here. If you hear DTB is doing the book, I want you to do, I'm going to give you a homework assignment right now. And you, you need to write this down. Um, you're going to do the book this week. And here it is. I want you to 
you, you told me you got some of those people. I want you to reach out to those people that fill your joy tank and make you smile when you think about them and thank God for them. And I want, I want you to go reach out to them and I want you to do Philippians 1.3. And here's what you're going to tell them. You're going to go up to them and say, my pastor told me to Philippians 1.3 you, so here it goes. <laughs> All right, we're going to turn that into a verb, amen? I'm going to Philippians 1.3 you today. Do it this week. And I'm going to tell you something, I want to hear those stories. You text me, put it on Facebook. You know, Facebook's a horrible place. Let's make it a better place. Let's start flooding it with scripture and with doing God's book. Amen? What a great way, to, what a great thing to do. So go Philippians 1.3, somebody, this afternoon before you uh, lay down for your nap. I think that'd be a good thing. Here's number two is the when. When did this happen in verse number four? Um, here's what Paul says. He said, man, you all put a smile on my face. I thank God every time I think about you. Well, how often does that happen? Look what he got, all the time. Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with, what's that word, church? Joy. Making requests for you all with joy. And that word joy literally carries with it the idea of gladness. That's what we're talking about. Those people that put a smile on your face. These people put a smile. They, they fill Paul's spirit with joy. Um. And it's so important that we also be that kind of person for other people in our lives through the gospel. Amen? Uh, we, we need to be doing that. Like I said the other Sunday, for all the dads out there, you know, you, you know what kind of a influence you are on your children when you pull in a drive. And they, and they say one of two things, dear God, it's dad, and they go running, or thank God, it's dad, and they come running to you, Right? So what kind of a dad are you? What kind of a, when you come in a room, is it, oh, dear God, he's here, or thank God he's here? You put a smile on someone's face, or are you filling in with fear, right? Um, so we want to be that kind of person that fills people with joy. Paul said, I'm, every time I pray, I think about you, I pray, and it's easy to pray for you, and when I do, you fill me with joy. Now, you've heard this little, little um, pattern for joy, I'm sure. I think I'll come up there. It is Jesus, others, and you, right? Jesus first. Then you put other people before yourself, and then you. Right? Jesus first. He's going to talk about that here in a second with the gospel partnership. It's all about Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And then others, we see they just jot it down here in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Here's what he says. Let nothing be done, nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And then he adds to it. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. I'm just going to tell you right now, you got strife in your home? If you, can, if you can be a pattern and an example of this to your home, and your children can get a hold of this, and we start looking out for other people before we look out for ourselves, and we consider other people before we put ourselves first, put others first, you're going to end up with a, here it is, a joy-filled home. And you're last. Um, by the way, I know you know this, but some of you don't know this. Uh, and I've lived it experientially. Living for yourself is a surefire way to be miserable and joyless. Amen? You know some of those people who are all about that unholy trinity of me, myself, and I? Aren't they lovely folks to be around? The most miserable people in the world. And that's what we're going to learn today. It's not about you. And I'm going to show you how 
we-centered we really are. As an example in one of these verses today. Now here's a question for you before we move on to this idea of joy. Do, do, is it simply that I want you to answer this. Do I, have to, do I have to have something other than or in addition to Jesus in order to have joy? Now I want you to be honest about that. You know, if, if, if I only had fill that blank in, I would have this sense of, of, of constant joy in my life. You know, if I only had better behaved children, then I would have joy in my life. If I only had a clean house, then I would have joy in my life. If I only had a husband who would clean up his closet. <laughs> See, I was waiting. The only time she ever says amen, right, is when I bring up my own sin. <laughs> my pile in front of my closet is growing because turkey season's coming, and now it's just i got to make a new place to put that stuff. <laughs> Pretty soon my wife's not even going to be able to get in the room. <laughs> I did that for you, dear. Yeah, what are the things that you need? Bigger house, bigger job, more money. And then I could have some joy. I'm going to tell you something. You know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? In prison. And he says, you know what? I think about you people. It makes me thank God. puts a smile on my face. And every time I pray, your name's on my lips. And I, it just, it's, it's a joy to pray for you folks. It's a joy to be, to be together with you people. Man, you know what I love about joy? I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. Because the whole, the whole little letter is full of thanksgiving and joy. Here's a beautiful thing about joy. Your circumstances have nothing to do with it. You could be sitting in prison and be filled with joy. Joy is an internal. Happiness is an external. Happiness sounds like happenstance. What's happening around you when good things happen, you're happy. We had a, we had a big party for Angie yesterday. It was a happy deal, right? You're happy. It's good, it was good to rejoice and celebrate God's gift to us through her. That's a happy thing, right? But guess what? Life's not always happy. We go through some dark, long valleys, right? But joy can be maintained because it's an internal thing. And it's based on something, listen, far longer lasting than your circumstances. It's based on the eternal promise of God and a provision through Christ. So let's look at that this morning. The what, or the why, excuse me, in verse number five. Let's look at verse number five there. Here's what the scripture says. This is the why. Why is Paul so happy? Why is he so full of joy even though he's in prison and these people make him so happy and, and, and put a smile on his face and he's constantly thinking about them? What's the deal, Paul? What's this all about? And this, this is the secret. Look at verse number five. Here's, here's what makes me full of joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day, day one, till now. Your fellowship in the gospel from day one until now. Now that word fellowship, some of the other translations, if you've got different translations, it says partnership. I actually like that word better. I was talking to Brad this morning. We've, we, the church has ruined the word fellowship. We really have. Because fellowship has been watered down to basically if Brad and I have a cup of coffee and and, uh, you know, hang out together for 15 minutes. We can say, it's nice fellowshipping with you. That's not fellowship. It's coffee. It's good. Coffee and conversation. That's not fellowship. That's not what this word means. This word is the Greek word koinonia. It's a business term. So, for example, Bobby back there is, is, in, the, is in the commercial tire business, right? So, in, in a business partnership, 
Bobby would say, hey, I know tires. And I would say, hey, I know nothing about tires. I got nothing on tires. But I know you, and I know that you know tires. But here's what I do have. I have money. And, and I understand finances, which, by the way, neither of those things are true, so don't get excited. <laughs> I didn't have money, nor do I understand how it works. But I got money and finances, and I know how it works, and I could do the books. So we're going to come together, your knowledge and experience and my financial background, and we're going to coin a NIA together and make a business. A, it was a business term. That's what coin a NIA means. It's a partnership. And Paul said, for your partnership, here's what puts joy in my heart, even though I'm in chains, is the fact that you and I are koinonia together in the gospel. Isn't that great? And literally that word in is, is a word that could be translated unto. It's a directive word in there. Your fellowship unto the furtherance of the gospel, right? And notice what he said, from the first day... Which is when? Acts 16. When I met Lydia and her, and her ladies' prayer group at the river, and she confessed Christ and went home, and, and, and her family confesses Christ, and then the slave girl, then we ministered for a while, and then the whole jailer thing there, and I had to get out of town. But from that very first day that Lydia came to faith and led her family to faith in Christ and were all baptized, from that day until now, anyone remember how long it's been? I said it last week. How long has... Has it been since, since Paul's been there, roughly? Anybody remember? It's been a decade. It's been 10 years. So, so from the first day 10 years ago until now, you and I have koinonia together for the furtherance, the pushing forward of the prosperity of the expansion of the kingdom of God through the good news. You see what it is? Let me tell you something. The theme of this little section, and if you miss this, you, you're going to look at all this wrong. The whole theme of this section is that gospel partnership, the business partnership that we have in the gospel. And here they are 10 years later, and they were still holding up their end of the koinonia gospel venture for Paul, as evidenced by the money that they had just sent him, a large offering for his support. Because back in that day, prison wasn't a place that you got your needs met. There was no TV, no workout room, and you had to actually pay rent. You had to provide for your own food and clothing. And if you didn't, they locked you outside the dungeon in chains to see how long you lasted. So if people didn't help you, you died. And these people were sending money to help Paul so that he could prosper in his imprisonment. So let's look at verse number six, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of time, uh, which is the what. So, so how do you see this verse playing out in your understanding? Look at this verse. Now, this is the only one you've heard of in this section, I bet. This one's familiar to all of us, isn't it? Let me read it to you. Being confident of this very thing. So remember, Paul says, I got no doubt that this is true. You ready? Here's, here's, here's what Paul's so confident in, that he... Who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Right? So what does that mean? When we hear that, what does that mean? I mean, it's not a trick question. God's, God started a work in you. He's going to keep working in you. And guess what? 
He's going to finish it. How many of you live with a per person that starts a lot of stuff but doesn't finish it? Do not raise your hand, Elizabeth. I am. I'm, I'm a starter. I am a starter, but I'm not a finisher. That's why God's put good brothers like Tom and even my son Paul. And, and, and I think, Jay, you and I may be more alike, but you, you got a little bit more on the ball than I do. Uh, Jim Williams was always one that says, hey, now, great idea. L let's make sure we're building in some steps so we can finish this idea of yours, right? Oh, aren't you glad that God is not like your pastor and he actually finishes what he starts, right? So, but I know how you hear this. Now, when we usually hear this, He's going to complete it. When he starts in you, he's going to complete it. Notice this, until when? The day of Jesus Christ. Until it's all over. And God blows a whistle, says everybody out of the pool, and pulls a plug on history. Right? Until the very end. He's got. Now, here's a question. Um, well, I'm going to back up and talk about that here in just a second. But let me say this. When we hear this verse, I know what you're thinking. You've, you've, you're, you, you, you consider it and you interpret it the way you've been taught because you only ever hear this verse out of context. You never hear this verse connected to verse 5, which is what it's all about. You always hear it by itself. By the way, when you take a text out of its surrounding, you're often left with a con. That's why context is what, church? That was terrible. Context is what? King, I'm turning AC on in a minute on y'all. You're getting too comfortable out there. We can fix that. <laughs> yeah, context is king. What we normally hear, we say, he who started a good work is going to perform until the day of Christ. Oh, I'm, I'm eternally secure. That's eternal security, which is a terrible term. If you want to be theologically correct in a more uh, uh, circumspect term, you should say the perseverance of the saints. It's not about being eternally secure. It's about persevering to the very end. And it's got, listen to me, good news here, it's got nothing to do with you, everything to do with God. Anybody happy about that this morning? Okay, but here's the problem. <laughs> You're going to think I'm crazy here. This is not a proof text for your eternal salvation. That's not what this is about. What this is saying, what we tend to think about this is this idea, and it's horrible, and I call it, the gospel Americana, is that God's got you no matter how much you sin, and you're going to heaven because he's going to finish what he started. That's literally what this verse gets into. By the way, by the way, what makes you think you can live like hell and not end up there when you die? You are deceived. There is no such thing as a, as a magical abracadabra little gospel prayer and dunk you in the water and you're good to go. And then you can go live literally in league with Satan for the rest of your life and think, oh, I said that prayer. I'm good to go. You're out of your mind. You're eternally deceived. And you are not in Christ. There's no way. But look what he says. Verse 6 opens with a participle. Now, my... That, Crazy program won't let me put a small case B in there. When you put a, uh, what's that called, quote in there, it always makes a capital. I'm going to write those people this week. They need to change that. But literally, that's a small case B, after, and it comes after a comma, not a period. And it's what's called a participle. And a participle, by the way, this is why William, why, why grammar is important. A participle is a verb that's disguising itself as a noun. 
All right. And here's what it's saying. It's going back, comma, right? He says in verse uh, number five, uh, because of this partnership in the gospel from the first day unto now, comma, it's one long sentence, being confident of this very thing. I, hear, I know here's what's going to happen. That he who began a good work in you, who, who's the he there? God, literally through Jesus Christ, he started this good work. Here's, here's what we're not answering. And, and when you assume the answer, you're often wrong. The reason it starts with a participle is it helps us, this participle helps us to answer what is the good work that Paul is talking about. The good work is in verse number five. The fellowship uh, in the gospel, the part, the part, the gospel partnership that these people had with Paul and Paul with them. That's what he's talking about. It's this gospel partnership. That's the good work that Paul's referring to here. And a partnership means, um, it means that two people who have two different things to offer come together for the, for the, uh, meeting of the success of the mission. In other words, you got your part to do and I got my part to do and we're going to do it together to push the gospel forward. The pushing of the gospel forward is exactly the good work that Paul says he's going to complete, he's going to bring it to fruition all the way to the end to the very day of Christ when God pulls a plug on history. Now I got a question for you. Are you going to be here when God pulls a plug on history? I mean, do we know that we're going to be here when it's all over? Now, Paul thought he was. The people, let me tell you something. Those people in the first century, they, they thought Jesus was, was coming like any day. And there's a lot of, and I'm just going to say this carefully because I'm not chasing this rabbit. There's a lot of interesting ways of looking at what happened in A.D. 70 with the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem as a, as a possible partial answer to some of that. But here's the reality. Paul gets his head cut off in the not-too-distant future. All those Philippians are dead and gone. So apparently this verse doesn't pan out. It's not true. Throw the Bible away. Go home. Right? What good work did he complete in them? Well, the work's not complete yet. But God is completing it. Because guess what? From these Philippians Christians, some other people there in Greece got saved. And some other people got saved. Guys by the name of Polycarp. Uh, and some of the church fathers got saved and discipled by the disciples. And then there was a next generation, a next generation, a next generation. And by the way, our people uh, can be traced back around the Reformation. There was always a remnant outside of the Catholic Church. The Waldensians, the Paulicans, the Anabaptists, who always believed the gospel and never were part of, of the corrupted church of Rome. They were always there. There was always a remnant. And even in Rome, God took, was saving people like Martin Luther and calling them out of darkness into the light. Up to now, and then here we go. We go into the, in, into the founding of our nation. All the way up to now. And guess what? We might be here when Jesus returns. That'd be awesome. We might not be. But what does that mean? It means this. Brothers and sisters, men of this church, we must have a multi-generational vision of faithfulness because God's got to do this 
through me, through my son Paul, through Paul the third, my grandchild, and through his children and his children's children, God is going to be faithful all the way to the end, and he is going to bring the gospel to its fullness one day. This has a long-term vision in this statement. And listen to me. I don't know that it's got as much to do with your eternal security as it does with the fact that God is eternally secure in the plan that he's got for this world. Amen? And he is, God's going God's to save everyone he intends to save. And you and I get to be a part of that. And may it be our children. How many of you like to see your children, grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren saved? Amen? Then get in the gospel partnership. A multi-generational. And I know you say, oh, you know, you're talking about some stuff that people disagree about. You know, are you pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill? I am, I am pan-mill. What that pan-millennium, and what that means is it's all going to pan out in the end. God's got it figured out, okay? That's what I, that's my, that, that's what I believe about end times. God's got it all figured out. So here's the question. How does, how does God do it? How does he complete that work in us that he started, this gospel partnership work? Well, he starts it with justification, right? All right? Bringing us into the faith, putting us in Christ, and then he continues it with sanctification through to the present. And then one day, one day when he does pull the plug on that day of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be risen again to eternal life and our bodies will be glorified. We'll get this spiritual body is what Paul calls it. <coughs> but look at this, the grace, this grace that Paul is talking about calls and empowers us to suffer for Christ. It calls and empowers us to suffer. This gospel partnership. And he's gonna, God's going to take us all the way to the end. Boy, isn't that exciting? And we get so myopic. I, I was, I'm listening to a really interesting podcast right now that talks about how it went from centuries ago until really just the last 150, 100, 150 years uh, that the gospel became so personalized. And it, it all, and it went from personalized to individualized. And now, if we're not careful, we think the gospel is just about me and God. The Bible never communicates it that way. The, the Bible communicates the gospel. Hear me, as we and God. We and God. I believe it said, "Give us this day my daily bread." No, what? Our daily bread. It's a community. It's a koinonia. We partner together for the furtherance of the gospel, what you were talking about in our D groups this morning. And this grace not only calls us, but grace is empowering, empowers us to not be afraid of the consequences. The gospel doesn't just save people, but it drafts them onto Christ's great commission team. You hear that? The gospel doesn't just save you, it drafts you. Onto the great commission team of King Jesus. This book is full of military words. We're going to see some here in a second. And God is going to bring this all the way through the generations until he wraps it up on the last day. Isn't that a, isn't that a comforting thought? Now, until then, let's look at verse number 7. Verse number 7. This is, in verse number 7, the where. Now, i gotta, I got to give you full disclosure here. Uh, this is the ESV. Uh, what's that stand for again? Thank you. English Standard Version. I am having a hard time remembering stuff here lately. The English Standard Version, and it's just because it reads so much better. Um, the New King James tries to lay it out as it is in the Greek, and it's pretty clunky. This is very smooth, but it's the same words. 
Here's what Paul says. Let's look at it there. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Now, look, look at the tender words, because I hold you in my heart. I love you people. I hold you in my heart. Now, here it is again. Don't miss this. For you are all, what's that word, church? Part Koinonia. You're all partners with me. Same word as a fellowship of the gospel, partnership unto the gospel. You're, you are all koinonia with me. Partakers with me of grace. Now notice what it says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What Paul is saying here is I'm not wrong and I'm not just being sentimental to feel this way. I hold you people in my heart. And again, do you have those people? I hope you're sitting next to some of those people. I go to your D groups. I can see it. Um, you guys hold each other in each other's hearts. Uh, I saw that. I, I saw that um, on the worst of days when we have to bury people. And I watch. You know who sits next together, next to each other with arms around each other? People who are in Koinonia. I've watched that happen in this very room. So why? Why is Paul so tender and appreciative of these saints? He says it. For you are all koinonia partakers with me of grace. Now notice what grace is doing for Paul and his Philippian partners. Both in my imprisonment, and here are two military terms, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now I want to say this carefully but firmly. We have got to start... Um, Broadening our definition and understanding of the work of grace in our lives. When we hear grace, there's a little acronym for that, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, it's unearned favor. And how many of you are glad the grace of God is unearned? Amen? Because if it was earned, you would be out and I would be right behind you. All right? I'm so glad <laughs> that God's kindness towards me has nothing to do with me. Amen? Woo! But there's another aspect of grace that we quit talking about years ago because it's hard to fill up a church with the truth anymore. And we quit talking about the fact that grace also has an empowering factor to it. The very fact that, 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 that God's love and favor is on me apart from me, having nothing to do with me, is designed by God to strengthen and empower me to live for him. And to be involved in what he's to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. Amen? Grace is an empowering gift in our lives from God. And, and God gave Paul grace to be a defender and confirmer of the gospel. And they, these Philippians, participated with him towards or unto this directive term, the gospel itself. So we take in the gospel... And it empowers us, grace, to give it out or advance the gospel, or as we say around here, to expand the kingdom of God. And that's what gave Paul so much joy. Paul wasn't just happy because he knew these folks. He was so happy. A major joy filler in his life is that they were picking up the gospel on their end, and they were expanding it in Philippi. And while they were doing that, they were collecting funds to support Paul in prison and sending it his way. And Paul was thrilled that the gospel was expanding in Philippi and that it was evidenced by the gift they were sending him. Do you see it? And this all gave him a great joy and, and a fellowship in the gospel. 
So I want to say this. This is super. You should write this down. Receiving the gospel brings a responsibility to advance the gospel. I want to say that again. Receiving the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension on your behalf, when you receive that, you also get with it a responsibility to advance that gospel. Not only in your life, but in the lives of the people you know. We were told this morning about making a list of those very people who need to come to faith in Christ. Matter of fact, Brad, I'm going to invite you to come at this time. I wanted Brad, talk about gospel partnerships, right? Who's your, who's your partner in a gospel? Brad's our partner in a gospel who really encouraged us in evangelism. And he really stepped on our toes a little bit this morning, but we need it around here, amen? And I've asked Brad to just to share a little bit about what he does and what his role is as our gospel partner. Mine, uh, the elders and the deacons here, and why you need to understand who Brad is and how he's going to help us partner in the gospel. Go ahead and share Amen. that with me. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. And uh, thank you for this message because I think this is a great message for us to hear. As we think about the reason that we are saved. So often we just think, well, I'm good, check it off, and I'm going to live my life the rest of my life here for myself, but I'm going to heaven when I die. But really, we become part of the gospel mission when we come to know Christ. You guys, as he's talked about, as the church here, are partners together in the gospel to reach this community, to reach people in your life. And then the great thing about what I do as Georgia Baptist Mission Board, you know, as a Georgia Baptist Mission Board, we're unlike other things and other denominations where they might have some authority over your church we don't have any authority over your church as the georgia baptist mission board but what we do is exactly what he says we partner together for the gospel and so i serve as the evangelism consultant for the east and west central areas of georgia you guys are in the east central if you're not sure where you are you're in east central as part of how we break it up and so I work with churches to develop that partnership to say, we're here to serve you. We're here to serve your church. We're here to serve you as a pastor to help you in the furtherance of the gospel. That's what it's all about. And so we come alongside and we do things like we have trainings for pastors where we try to help them develop and to grow a plan for their church. Says, what are we going to do? Not only to reach more lost people, that's what we want to do. Obviously, we want to reach people that don't know Christ and help them come to know Christ. But even beyond that, we want to help make the people in the church more gospel-centered, gospel-focused, help you develop a process in place that when you come to this church, that you know that I'm a part of a process that's going to help me to be more focused on lost people in my life and of helping be a part of God's kingdom calling to reach those lost people with his gospel. And so it really comes down to it. We were talking after the thing about you know, sometimes you can have in church people that are just comfortable sitting and doing nothing and sitting and just thinking about themselves. I mean, that happens in most of our churches where we've got a lot of people who are unconcerned about the gospel. And so we want to help churches get to a place where the process and plan is so definitive and so put in place that those folks can't be comfortable in the church. They're like, either I've got to change and get with it and be who God created me to be, or I need to find another place to go be comfortable in, because that's not where we need to settle. We need to settle of being passionate shares of the gospel and partner together to realize, while I come to church is not only to gather and be encouraged by the preaching and the small group, but that when I leave, I take the gospel with me. The gospel pulse goes with me. Because that's my calling. That's who I am. And so we help 
pastors develop those plans, and we do training, just like we talked about in the D group today, uh, training that helps kind of mobilize people, the people in the church to do that. But at the very heart of it, our heart is just to serve pastors and churches. We tell them, listen, just see us as your resource. That's what we are. Uh, to come alongside and say, we love you, and, and we like the Apostle Paul. That's how we feel about our churches. Man, I thank my God on every remembrance of our pastors. I, I, I tell guys all the time, I say, you know, one of the greatest things about what I get to do, I pastored for almost 16 years here in Macon. And so when you're pastor of a church, you know your church. And now you might know a little bit about what's going on with everybody else, but you don't really know a whole lot. But what I get to do is I get to meet pastors and fellowship with pastors and hear their heart and see their heart. And I want you to understand this and know this. I've met with hundreds of pastors at this point in this role. And every single pastor I've ever met with has a heart and a desire to want to see the gospel go forward, to see their people mobilized, to take the gospel into their neighborhoods, into their workplaces. And it's just a, such a refreshing thing to know that there are so many leaders and pastors in, in our world, in our state, that have that desire and want to see that. And so we just come alongside them and try to help encourage them in that, partner together with them. But I thank my God for the pastors today. You know, so often you see so much negative stuff from pastors, church, especially today, Facebook, Twitter, all the bad things that happen. But I tell you what, man, there are so many guys that are serving the Lord faithfully in churches all across our state who love the Lord, who love the gospel, and who are trying to encourage their people to be part of the gospel mission, that it is a blessing. And I hope you realize that, that you have a pastor like that here, and we're thankful for Paul and for the work that God is doing through him. And he only wants to see you accomplish God's will and God's work in your life as he leads you to be a part of the gospel mission. And so we just want to support that, encourage that, and help that along here at Lake Wildwood. So, Paul, thank you, man. Thank Appreciate you. you. I'm so glad that we got guys like you to come alongside and help us do that. And actually, we're going to be bringing Brad in to work with our leadership at first. And it's called a SPICE plan, spice, right? Yeah. Tell them what SPICE stands for. SPICE stands for a Strategic Plan for Intentional and Continuous Evangelism. And so it just helps your church lay out year over year, what are we doing to be intentional and continuous in helping our people to embrace this mission that we've talked about of expanding the kingdom. Spice. I like it. He's got, we're going to do that. Or we're going to get a spice plan. All right. Amen. Thank you, Brad. And we are, he, we're, we're in gospel partnership together, aren't we? I felt that this morning while you're talking. I'm like, I was like cheering you on. So you hurt my feelings a little bit, but you know, then I had to repent and say, Lord, I need to get a list. I need to get that list tuned up. Right. We're in gospel part. That man exists to encourage me to join him in the gospel. And that's what is bringing Paul so much joy here. You say, well, I don't know about gospel word. I'm not trained. I don't know. I don't want to. What, what, what is, it seems really hard and it's not well defined. Well, let me show you how easy it is. I came across this on Facebook uh, two days ago. Can you pull that next screen up? It says this, if you haven't been to Hello Boba Cafe, please make sure to get down there. They are very good and worth the trip. Now, I won't use this person's name, but his initials are Jonathan Buchanan. And he's sitting right there at work, working our security side today. And the, Jonathan's friend's wife started this thing. I don't, Boba Cafe. So I said, what, what, 
I call my kids Bobo when they mess up and do something stupid. I said, where to go, Bobo? Uh, but what is Boba Cafe? And apparently it's tea with these fruit-flavored plastic balls in it. They're not plastic? You eat them. They, they burst. You're not, you're not helping. <laughs> this is not making me want to go down there more. <laughs> Bursting plastic bubbles in tea. Yeah, right? What, what is that? What's he doing? What Jonathan is doing there is he's just telling or sharing the good news of where you can get your plastic tea bubble drink. What is he doing? He's a, and actually, I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to go down there and try it because I've, I've made so much fun of it, and I'm probably going to love it, and it's going to cost me money. But what is that? That's evangelism. Jonathan is trying to evangelize all of you to drink tea with plastic bubbles, and it tastes like juice. And you know what? Some of you, here's the sad part, some of you are going to go home and forget about the gospel, but you're going to boba, whatever that stuff is, for lunch today. That's how sad it is. Sharing the gospel, the gospel's good news. You share the good news all the time. Whenever you come across a restaurant and you, and you try and say, oh, my word, it's wonderful, you jump on Facebook, you promote stuff. we got to be promoting things that last forever. It's that easy. Jonathan, Jonathan is a partner, koinonia, with Hello Boba Cafe. And he's evangelizing you and I with, with this tea, the colorful juice balls in it. He's just telling, sharing the good news, right? What's that? Be a convert. That's what he said. And listen, that's all we're talking about. It's like, wow, you need to have happen to you what's happened to me. That's all we're saying. Okay, so here's the problem. Has it happened to you? Maybe we're not sharing because we got nothing to share. We talked this morning, um, Leonard Ravenhill, great evangelist of the past, not too distant past, said that he believed that 90% of the church was unconverted. They were sinners believing they were saints. The gospel turns us into worshipers to get heaven to earth, to know God and to make him known. I mean, if there's someone that you really love, if there's someone in your life that you really love, does what they love impact you? So, so obviously, my wife. I, I love my wife. D does what she love impacts me? You better believe it. Um, does what hurts my wife cause me to respond? Any of my children who live in my house? When mom gets frustrated with said children not doing their work, their, their jobs around the house and letting your responsibilities go? Does dad step in? Do you live in my house? I'm getting blank stares back there. They're not very nice ones, right? Mean dad shows up, right? Because you mess with mom, you're dealing with dad, and I'm not the nice dad at that point, right? Not. I'm not going to be. Why? I love her. You hurt her. You deal with me. not going to be good for you. Well, what about Christ? Isn't it the same with Jesus? Why don't we love what he loves? He came to seek and to save the lost. Why don't we hate what he hates? Fakeness. Sin. If you love him, you'll hate it. If you love your sin and hate the idea of sharing the good news of Jesus, 
You may have never met him yet. And it's not a guilt to get to. It's a privilege to get to do this. My life is governed by what pleases and pressures Elizabeth. I promise you that. And that's a good and godly thing. You know, they're goers and senders. Here's what we need to ask. What part of the battlefield is my responsibility? What part of the battlefield is my responsibility? I got a question for you. If Russia invaded Georgia, this Georgia, tomorrow morning, first of all, they would need to get a new GPS. <laughs> but if, if, seriously, if Russian troops were getting ready to invade Lake Wildwood tomorrow morning, how many of you men would find a gun and fight to the death to protect your family? You better believe it. Why would that not even be a thought to you? Why would that not even be a, well, you know, I don't really like them that much today. Right? Or, you know, she really messed that last meal up. I don't know. I got to think about it. No, it's not even a thought. But I got news for you. I got news for you. The kingdom of darkness has invaded, and you and I are the light, and we're on the front lines. We're on the front lines of this deal. And this idea of going and sending, it's not about our relationship to the Great Commission, but our relationship to the local assembly. What's your relationship? What's your koinonia? Who are your gospel partners in your local assembly? We got to be fighting. God did not save you and put you on a playground. He saved you and put you on a battleground. And it's war. And we need to wake up and be a part of it. And this is what brought Paul so much joy, is that they were actually advancing. We're part of the supply line to advance the gospel and expand the kingdom. You are and I am. And then the last one, we're, we're done. How much? Verse number eight. I'm going to run through this quick. Here's what he says. For God is my witness, Paul said, I'm telling you the truth, how greatly I long for you all. Notice this, with the affection of Jesus Christ. He loved his gospel partners with the very love of Christ Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There is nothing like the love that is shared between gospel partners. Am I, am, am I right, Brad? Isn't that the truth? When, when you partner with someone and you guys go out and share the gospel and you see someone truly repent of their sins and put faith in Jesus, something's happened between you two, right? You'll be friends forever. This gospel, who are your gospel partners? Who are our gospel partners in this world today? Well, I'm going to show you a few of them. And this answers the how much. Here's a picture that come up. You might know these people if you've been around here a while. That's the Lewis family, Seth and Jessica. Yesterday was Jessica's birthday. There are missionaries to Ireland. And I wish Jim was here because Jim would be able to, Jim, Jim Williams would be able to tell me how long we've been supporting them. But I know it's been well over 10 years and, and it might be longer that we've supported Jess and Jessica and, and uh, Seth Lewis. In Ireland, and I'm going to tell you something. They have a robust gospel ministry in Southern Ireland. These young Irish people have walked away from their faith, and as a result of that, they're finding true salvation in Jesus Christ. And and their their church is expanding. There are gospel partners. Here's another picture. This is Lou and Lech May. Um, now we only knew Lou when he came to us uh, about four or five years ago. He was single. 
Well, he found his wife, Lech, and so Lou and Lech are together, and they're going back to their home country of Laos, which is not open to missionaries, which is why their stuff is not very public. They've got a secret website you can go to and find out about what they're doing. Uh, but they're headed back to Laos to share the gospel. There are gospel partners in a closed country that hates King Jesus. Here's another picture. These are our own missionaries sent from this very church. Brett and Jennifer Wright serving in Uganda with African Inland Missions. Uh, Brett there is a pilot, and he carries in supplies in and out. One of his first flights was into a tribe, tribal area in Uganda. When one of the men was shot by a Muslim uh, extremist. And he was badly wounded and dying, and they loaded him onto Brett's plane, and Brett flew out amidst some pretty dicey conditions because they were still around the area in the mountains. And he got that man to safety and to a hospital where he survived. That's the kind of stuff these kids are doing. They are our gospel partners in Uganda to see the light of the gospel go forth. And I'm going to tell you what, <laughs> those of you that have been around, when you, see, when you see Brett and Jennifer walk through that door, when you think about them, Am I right, Norma? Does it not put a smile on your face? You just can't help it. That's a gospel partnership joy. We also have um, Johnny and Virginia Thompson. I don't have a picture of them, but he, he ministers in our local prisons. We, I think we've been supporting him about 18 or 19 years. Uh, Johnny ministers in all the prisons in middle Georgia. Caring Solutions Crisis Pregnancy Center, downtown Macon, and in Warner Robins, we, we partner with them financially to help them out. We want to see so many of uh, these ladies come to Christ and save those babies. And then, of course, the Gideons International. We love the Gideons for, for their work. Um, these are some of our gospel partners. They're who we're, they should be people that bring us joy because we're in this together to the advancement of the gospel. Paul reminds them, in chapter 3, in verse 17, that they are citizens of heaven. And, and that's, <laughs> citizenship was a big deal in Philippi because you kind of win the lottery. If you get to be a citizen of that city, you're automatically a citizen of Rome, which can cost, in our day, tens of thousands of dollars to buy citizenship. You get it for free if you're a citizen of Philippi. Paul's using a play on terms here. But he's saying, hey, folks, I'm happy that you're citizen of Rome because you're a citizen of Philippi, I got better news for you, you're a citizen of heaven. Amen? And these gospel partnerships need to be what uh, we're involved in and what matters. Don't let the gospel get shoved out of the primary efforts of your life. So I want to ask you this in closing today. How much of your impact, how you're spending and investing your life, is for something that will matter five minutes after you're dead. Seriously. How much of what you're doing is going to even matter five minutes after you're dead? <laughs> I don't know about you. I want to be involved in stuff that's going to matter until the day of Christ. Right? They don't got to know my name as long as they know the name of my Savior. How much of that are you involved in? And I know, I know, I know right now, some of you are sitting there saying, well, you know what, preacher? I'm glad you're excited about that, but that's just not my thing. I mean, I said my prayer, and, you know, God and I are good, but, but this gospel thing and partnerships and lead, actually talking to people about Jesus, that's just not my thing. 
Well, I want you to be honest about that. If that's not what you're about, I need you to hear me. You're not a Christian. You are not a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Because if you ain't, fi ain't fishing, you ain't following. It's not rocket science. You aren't. 90% of the church is lost. That means a person sitting on either side of you, if you are truly a believer, probably isn't. Oh, now you brought it down and made it personal. I don't like that. Oh, I don't, I don't like it either. But I love the gospel, and I love what it can do to change your life. And if you think it doesn't matter and it doesn't really have a place in your life, you're not a follower. That's just a sad truth. But God puts it in your heart, and you want to be. He can do that today. Today is the day to settle that. Christ is mighty to save. And today is a day of salvation. And we're going to sing a song right now as they, as they come up. It's our hymn of the month. Matter of fact, you can stand as they come to get ready to sing a marvelous grace of our loving Lord. And the end of that, that verse says this, will you this moment his grace receive? Will you? You say, preacher, that's not really me. I look at Thomas back there holding that gorgeous little baby. Thomas, I'm going to tell you something, brother, because I love you. And I loved your dad and I love your grandparents. You got no hope of raising those kids to look anything like Jesus if you don't know him and love him. I'm just telling you the truth, son. I love you. Man, you look like your dad. I loved your dad. I've told your dad that same thing, and I watched him respond to Christ right before he died. Have you responded to Christ today? This is not the time to play games. This is heaven and hell serious. And we know whose we are by what we love. If you don't love lost people, if you don't love King Jesus, and if you don't hate your sin, it's, you're just not His yet. That can change right now. And right now, He may be calling you to Himself. I believe that. Say, so what do I got to do? Here's what you do. You ready? You ready? You tell Him, I can't fix my sin. All I can do is sin. I am powerless to stop it. Jesus didn't sin and he took my place and I want to own that. I want to hang on to Jesus. And I want to hate what's wrong and love what's right. If you'll do that and come to him with that sorrow in your heart for your wrong and a love in your heart for your king who died in your place and rose again as God's stamp of approval. If you'll come to him just that simple he'll make it his own today and you're going to be it's going to be wild. You're going to start loving what he loves, and he loves lost people. He came to seek and save the lost, and you're going to get to be a part of that gospel partnership. How about you do that instead of sin today? How about we pray? Father, would you... God, you got to do it. I, I can't do it. My, my words are so powerless. Your word is so powerful. too comfortable. Brad said it this morning in D group. We've gotten over our salvation. Forgive us. And those who don't know you, and there's some in this room right now, I have no doubt. Let them flee to the cross right now in Jesus' name. And find a faithful Savior who is mighty to save. And embrace that marvelous grace that comes from you, our loving Lord.
open our mouths this week. May we have gospel conversations. We embrace the partnerships in Jesus' name.